Welcome back to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee, Lavelle. Fellas, how was the weekend? The weekend was good for me. Um, you know, started the started the weekend off watching the, the Shields pay-per-view. So it was a cool Friday, and so Saturday I kind of had it had it off. So had a little virtual gathering, if you will, on the evening, and then just knocked some errands out. So you know, pretty pretty standard weekend for me so far. Yeah, my weekend was very uh, relaxing. Um, I'm a routine person, so you know, Friday Friday evenings just uh, working out at the gym, then relaxing. You know, spending some quality time with the wife on. The Saturdays and you know, and Sunday is uh, getting that spiritual walk in and um, writing, um, getting prepared for you know, spend time with you guys. So kind of like recharging your batteries. Anybody mm-hmm. get to see that uh, that that movie uh, coming to America? Yeah, I checked it out. I and, and right. I want to say. Uh, Look, next time they want to kind of, you know, take my name and flip it and, you know, they should talk to my lawyer first. Um, I haven't caught it yet, but I'll probably catch it. They probably oh, okay. might be next Yeah, there's it's been a lot of buzz about that lately. I just thought I'd run that across you fellas to see if you checked it out. I haven't. But to be honest with you, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, so I wasn't really rushing to go see the sequel. So, I mean, but we'll see. You know what I mean? Plus, I'm not really a movie guy. You know what I mean? Like a buff movie buff because – I don't like two hours of your time. And if it's like a bummer, I feel like I wasted two hours of my life. So I'm kind of, it has to be something that's like a, without a doubt, like it's a great movie. You know what I mean? Then I might go ahead and check it out, but that's not something that's on my radar right now. Um, But let's go ahead and move on to this episode today. We're going to start off uh, by talking about the pay-per-view female uh, pay-per-view car on Friday night in Flint, Michigan. Um, this is actually the first female main event since Layla Ali and Jackie Frazier back in January 2000. Um, what do you gentlemen think about Clarissa Shields and uh, Marie E. that took place Friday night? I enjoyed it. Uh, I think people should really take note of what they're watching. You know, Clarissa Shields, she came into this fight 10-0, uh, and 0, uh, TKO, two uh, knockouts. She's uh, undefeated uh, against an um, Marie Eve Dakar, who was also undefeated with 19 wins and, and zero losses. They fought for the, the 154-pound championship, uh, which is actually Clarissa Shields' third weight class. And while most people move up, she's moved down in weight. So she, had, she captured championships in 168, 160. And she's still the undisputed champion at 160. And uh, after this fight, she's now the, the uh, undisputed champion at 154 pounds also. Um, so this is a historic fight. The first thing I noticed right off the bat was how uh, poised and sharp that uh, Clarissa Shields uh, looked. Um, you could tell that the offense was there, the defense was there. Uh, she's improved so, so much. And uh, you could tell when, when fighters, they spend time in the gym, when they, when they spar, when they get it in. You could tell when they cut corners and all that. And, and you could tell that Clarissa Shields, she's the type of, uh, of person who likes what she's She's doing. She loves to box. Uh, she's a student of the game, and she's only been improving. Uh, you, you just watch her first fight, 
and then watch this fight, and you can tell how you know how sharp she's gotten since then. And uh, credit to the car, she did try, and I, I took take my hat off to her. Uh, what she brought to the table was just not enough, and Shields was just too much for her. Uh, she did what she had to do, and um, congratulations, Christian Shields. It was a good win, you know, historic to be on pay per view. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they, people like to clown her on social media and stuff like that. And, you know, that's not cool. And this is why I have an issue with it, why it's personal to me, and why I'm very high on, on Shields. Uh, it's because as a boxing fan, we have to claim her. Because if we don't, uh, MMA is going to claim her. Because there's always been talk uh, about her going to MMA. Again, I know I've talked about this before. But it's kind of a lose-lose situation for boxing and a win-win for her because she's going to get paid regardless of what happens, you know, if she goes to MMA. Um, it's a lose-lose for boxing because let's say uh, she isn't successful. Of course, there'll just be another James Tony situation and, you know, they laugh, she goes back to boxing, what have you, and that's it. But if she is successful, boxing lose because they're going to get all the credit for Clarissa Shields. Uh, it's just like with Holly Holm. No one remembers Holly, Holly Holm for being one of the best uh, women boxers of her time. She's just known as the MMA legend that beat Ronda Rousey. And it'll be kind of sad to see if if, if Clarissa Shields get that same uh, type of uh, treatment. Um, because people don't always know what they're watching. Even as a boxing fan, you don't always know what you're watching because, um, like, for example – even we stay inside of boxing and look at Floyd Mayweather, you know, everyone's a TMT fan and everyone's like, Floyd this, Floyd that. Yeah, yeah, Floyd. But, you know, a lot of people don't have – it's almost like we have short memories. And, well, casual fans mostly are saying that because I remember when, you know, you only knew of Floyd when, if you was a hardcore boxing fan back in, you know, the 2000, 2001 when he was building his legacy fighting – uh, Diego Corrales and Jose Luis Castillo uh, and uh, Chikadito uh, Hernandez. Uh, he was known as that as a, as a boring fighter that a lot of people outside of boxing didn't want to watch. And if Clarissa Shields, she has the opportunity. You know, we don't want to look back on this five years from now and be like, man, I I remember you know Clarissa Shields was this and now she's that and she's a big star. We hate. We, if we're gonna claim her as a boxing fan, we have to claim her now. That's pretty much what I. I'm pretty. Much, I know I pretty much was long winning on there, but I'm kind of passionate about where she goes from here. No, I get it. Yeah, uh, you know, looking at the fight um, and some of the things I, I'll touch on, some of the things that you mentioned or elaborate in terms of my view as far as what you mentioned or what you said, um, but. I want to start off by talking about what I saw inside the fight. So I thought, you know, it was a, a pretty good event. Uh, to be honest with you, like, I'm not really a big female boxing fan, per se, just like when I was talking about movies and whatnot. Because even that car, for me personally, it was hard to watch the whole car. You know, Clarissa Shields, like, if you could have had a female car that had the best fighters in female boxing on the car then I think that that's how you should market a pay-per-view for women to start because then that'll draw interest. But some of those fights, like I say, personally for me, I, I, I'm not even going to lie, man. I fell asleep. <laughs> I, had to, I fell asleep that night by the time Clarissa Shields came on, and it came on too late. You know, being on the East Coast, 11.30, they about to fight. Like, that's a little bit late, especially on a Friday, a long week. Your brain is fried. 
So, you know, I was tired. I fell asleep, man. So I finally had a chance to check out the fight yesterday. And I apologize. You know, I, I had it, but it's just, it was hard to watch all of those fights because it wasn't your top level fighters on that card, with the exception of the main event. Now, with the main event, I, I was very impressed with Clarissa because I've seen her a few times, and that was the most, I would say, refined that I've seen her because she just showed a huge amount of patience inside the ring. She was doing whatever it is that she wanted to do when she wanted to do it. And I think she had the car's timing down, like probably within that first 10 seconds like after that. Or she could have had her timing down before the fight started. Sometimes, and I'm, I'm not, you know, a boxer, but I, I was an athlete. And sometimes when you, you can see somebody that you're about to play against, and they may be good. Other people may look at them and be like, oh, man, so-and-so, um, you're not going to be able to stop that, or that's the person going to be doing that to you. But if you uh, look at the person that you are about to face, you can see flaws in them, or you can see, oh, I know that, you know, once I go ahead and uh, start doing this, they're not going to be able to keep up, because I can just can tell. Like, you can see certain things, and I know that that's probably what Clarissa saw when she saw Dakar, you know what I mean? And then it even reinforced itself once she got in the ring. And like I said, everything she wanted to do, that, that right hand, she was hitting her with straight rights, right crosses. She countered when she wanted to. She took the lead when she wanted to. And the car was just really just, just too slow um, to do anything about that. And she probably never really faced somebody at that level. Like it's hard. Like I said last week, you got a champion going against the number one fighter in the world. And those levels, you see it. You know what I mean? There's a distinct difference. It got to a point at one part of the fight, I think it was like around nine, where now I gave Clarissa every round and I don't even think they were close. And it got to a point like around round nine where Dakar, at the end of the round, she put her hands up. And I'm thinking, I was like, I know it couldn't have been the fact that she thought she won that round. She probably was putting her hands up like, oh man, I survived that round. You know what I mean? Um, so, but with that being said, um, you know, it. What Clarissa did on Friday, it doesn't reflect on Dakar. Dakar, he, she showed a lot of effort, and she does have talent. And I suspect that she may be able to collect another belt in the future, but it won't be against somebody like Clarissa. Now, moving forward for Clarissa Shields, it's a couple of things that I want to talk about. First, I'm going to get to the, the part where she needs to stop all of the – she can beat Keith Thurman and all that type. Come on now. Like, if you can't put these girls out, you can't hurt those girls. You're not going to be able to do that. Now, I can see if you say that you can beat somebody like, what's that little dude named Romero who be talking all that noise? <laughs> you, <laughs> you might be able to beat him, but no, don't, don't do that. Like, don't disrespect those dudes like that. Like, we respect what you do, you know, in your sport and respect what they do, you know, in theirs as well. So cut, cut that out now. So, you know, stop it. Um, but I do want to see her fight against savannah marshall savannah marshall is the middleweight champ nine and no with seven ko's and that's the last person to defeat clarissa shields in the um in the amateurs now clarissa was like what 17 or something like that and the other lady was 21 at that time so but she's good too i think she's fighting she's out of the uk she fights over there i saw fury or one of them it wasn't tyson fury it was one of those furies saying that she's the best in the world um the last time i saw her fight now that girl is smooth. <laughs> I'm not gonna kid you. Like she in there, 
She's real comfortable. I don't know what she would do if somebody like her, Clarissa is applying pressure on her. I don't know if she'll be able to handle it like that. But she was fighting somebody that Clarissa had beat. But just the way she was in there, never. she was so comfortable. And she was just like doing whatever it is she wanted to do. And it was just so smooth. So I would like to see them mix it up. She's 5'11". She's 20, I want to say like 29 or something like that. So she's in her prime. So that's what I would want to see. I don't see anybody else. Um, but again, I'm not an expert when it comes to women boxing. But from what I've seen, that's the person who I would like. And they can do that as a main event as well, like pay-per-view main event. Now, as far as MMA, she's going to MMA. It's, it's no doubt about it. She said after the fight that as soon as it's over with, she's going to take maybe a week or two off, and then she's going to go back to Albuquerque to train until like august because in her heart it's a couple things i look at it a couple ways right where clearly she's one or two when it comes to women and boxing and it's not after that it's not even really close so do i continue she can always come back i think the boxing just based on her elite skills like she can always do that right but with mma it's some benefits for her to do it it's a couple. One, one, one is is the fact that Clarissa has a passion to be successful. When she has people doubting her, that's going to make her focus in more and overcome those odds, those obstacles, the haters, and all of that type of stuff. She has that inner belief in herself that she can overcome those things. So that's going to be a challenge that she's looking for. The other thing is. And I listened to her talk and she was talking about some of the skills that she was working on. And she's like real detailed with what it is that she knows that she needs to work on. Just like Boston, like we said, her style looks so much more refined than when you saw her before, because she's picking up on things and she's going to apply that. And she's going to put in that effort and work to do what it is that she needs to do. In MMA, another benefit for me, I don't see women, black women in MMA. So I would want to see her be successful in that avenue, that arena, um, and be the first to conquer that sport as a black female. So I applaud her if she, when she goes in that direction, I'll support her. And I also support her um, in all of her endeavors. And um, if she goes to MMA, she comes back to boxing. But I'm a fan. Only thing I say is just, you know, leave Keith them alone. That's all. I want to start out by saying, you know, salute to both fighters. Uh, you know, much respect to both of them. Like you said, Will, it's less about the car and just more about where where Shields is as a fighter and how elite she is. Um, a few things that I, I will run off about her for people that aren't as familiar. Um, you know, she currently holds the record for becoming a two and three weight world champion in the fewest professional fights, male or female. Um, she won gold medals in the women's middleweight division in 2012 and 2016 Olympics, which made her the first American boxer, male or female, to win consecutive Olympic medals. Um, she is one of only eight boxers in history, male or female, to hold all four world major titles in boxing um, simultaneously. And with her win this time uh, on Friday, um, she became the first fighter, male or female, to become undisputed in, in two divisions. And so, um, you know, she's very accomplished as a fighter. And 
you two kind of gave an interesting juxtaposition, you know, with you, Val, saying that we need to support her more. We as boxing fans, or or maybe you meant more as like, you know, boxing, the sport itself, need to support her more as a boxing fighter. Um, but then, you know, Will, you saying, and I could, to be honest, I could kind of relate to that saying that, you know, the card itself wasn't, you know, wasn't great. And, you know, you fell asleep. I could relate to that. But I was just happy to support, like, and, you know, I, I caught up with it. But, you know, coming into that fight, she, the reason why it happened that way, when I looked into it, I saw that she was tired of waiting for a, a date to fight from a network. And so they kind of took a gamble with it, which you don't see a lot of fighters doing. You know, they were inactive. They were, uh, you know, their camp was inactive. They were hoping Showtime would have would have rescheduled the fight for some point by the end of 2020. But when they couldn't come to restructured terms on a deal that they had made in last May, um, they basically, as a team, said that, you know, we're not going to we're not going to keep waiting for networks to give us a date. We're going to take matters into our own hands. And so they took the gamble of creating their their network, their promotional, you know, stable, took the gamble on creating a pay-per-view themselves. And that's why, you know, it was priced the way it was. And that's how it kind of turned out the way it was. So. You know, although the car was what it was, stuff like that is those are chances for one is a chance for boxing fans to show their support of, of women's boxing in general. If you know they say they rock with women's boxing, you know, the way they say they do, but B is also indicative of the failure of the networks to, to make something happen for her. So, like you said, Will, um, you know, I'll, I will support her. When she goes to MMA, I'll support her if she were to come back to boxing. Um, you know, I don't really have to say much about the fight itself. You guys already said what you said. She looked brilliant. Um, but, you know, just shout out to her and shout out to her team for taking that risk to even do that. You know, you see fighters that haven't fought since elite fighters that haven't fought since before the pandemic and are pretty much sitting around waiting for networks to, you know, to do what they do. And she went out here and just did it. Cool. So, um, it has been rumored that uh, Javante Tank Davis is looking to move up and weight class up to super lightweight to fight Mario Barrios. How do you guys see that fight playing out if that were to happen? All right, so we'll have Tank Davis uh, versus Mario Barrios. Tank is <clears throat> five, five and a half, 67 and a half inch reach. He's a southpaw, 26 year old. 26 years old out of Baltimore with 24 victories and 23 KOs. Mario Barrios is 5'10". He's 25, 71-inch reach, orthodox fighter with a record of 26-0 with 17 KOs. When this fight was, I mean, it's not necessarily official because when I look on box rec, I don't see it there just yet but it's, it's looking like it's really close to being a done deal. If it is a done deal, my thing is this. I think about all of these guys, right? So you got Gary Russell, Oscar Valdez, Ryan Garcia, Tiafimo Lopez, Devin Haney, Vasil Lomachenko. Like, my man has never faced any of those guys. Like, he's been a champ for a while, right? And so even if you want to go up, right, to 140, which he would be doing. If you really wanted more of a challenge, right, you would 
look and seek out guys like Regis Progress, maybe even a Victor Postal, you know what I'm saying, at 140. But Mario Barrios, Mario Barrios, think about it. He started his career at 126, right? And I remember me and Vail, uh, me, me and you, we did an episode this summer, and he was on one of those cards. And I was just so surprised that he was fighting for a belt. Now, I know it's a secondary belt, but that's when I was like, man, they're just giving him belts away because the guy he was fighting was 7-0. and oh, I can't remember how many knockouts that he had, but I do remember seeing Mario Bar Barrios previously, and he was fighting against a guy named um, Akamdolf or something like that, where he ended up stopping Akamdolf, but or maybe Akamdolf may have been a fighter that I saw him fight who was 7-0, but it was a fighter before that where he was um, positioned himself to get the belt. He almost lost that fight, but he ended up stopping the guy at the end. So I was just so surprised that he had a belt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he just, out of all of the guys, I just named list, a list of guys at 140, right? And skill-wise, I think that they are far superior than Mario Barrios. But anyway, now, as far as this fight is concerned, um, both guys are aggressive. I think it could be a good fight because they're both aggressive and they both um, are pretty much power punchers. At least Tank is. Barrios, early on, he was more of a power puncher in terms of getting knockouts. I think the biggest thing in this fight is really we're going to find out some things about Tank, right? So here's the challenges that he's going to face. This would be his first fight at 140. Um, at 135, as we mentioned before, he didn't seem as powerful when he fought against Gamboa. He was nailing Gamboa with some heavy shots, and Gamboa really wasn't going anywhere until he got the stoppage in the 12th round. Also, how well will he be able to take a punch at 140? And so those are some of the challenges that he's going to face going into this bout. And some of those things we just really don't know because a lot of times when Tank fights, he's the one who has all of the advantages. Guys are coming up to him or... He's fighting somebody who's old, um, so this won't be the case. It's going to be a skill thing with Barrios. I, I'm not sure what type of skills because he get he gets hit a lot as well. But if Tank's power doesn't register at 140 and he's not able to do any damage against Barrios, that could be a problem, especially in the latter part of the fight because Bar Barrios can't crack. But we'll see. Um, now, he's he's never shown me that he his willingness to want to fight any of the guys that I mentioned when I started talking. But one thing that could be a positive, a pro, is if he's successful, if he chooses this approach. I don't know, because this right here is out of left field to me with all of the smoke that you got at 135. You got Oscar Valdez, even Shakur Stevens. I mean, you got a lot of talent, you know what I mean, that he can face in some of those weight divisions. I don't like it, the fact that People take this approach in boxing now, you know, <laughs> where they jump in, in these weight classes. Now, you can't use Canelo as the example of, well, he's doing it. You cannot do that. And I'm going to tell you why you can't use Canelo as that type of example. Canelo is tried and proven. Canelo has faced Lara, Cotto, Jacobs, Golovkin. The list goes on. So you can't say, well, if he's doing it, Tank has not beat really anybody. 
you know, I know his popularity and stuff like that, but it's something in terms of like the integrity of the sport, right? Where I can ride out with you if you begin to do that. You have to prove it to me first. You have to show me that, okay, I knocked out this champion. He was the number one guy. I took him out. Now I'm the man. So once you're the man, then you can get those privileges of being able to jump around and move around and stuff like that and fight whomever, right? But when you got all of those top-level guys and you ignoring those guys to face of Mario Barrios, again, my last point is this, is that hopefully if we're talking about a Canelo, he's going to take the approach of a Canelo or Oscar Valdez in this sense. Remember when I was saying how Canelo always seems to have a plan in place, a strategy where he's going to fight this guy and that's going to prep him for this guy. Now, if that's what Tank is going to do in this situation, where he's like, okay, I'm going to fight Mario Barrios at 140, who's, you know, this would be a big, solid puncher that I'm attempting to face, and then I'm going to use that information that I get from that fight. Then I'll go back to 135 and face one of those big 135 pounders like a Garcia, like a Tiafimo Lopez, like a Devin Haney. Now, if he does that, then I'm all for it. But if this is somehow, some way supposed to give him some more accomplishments and achievements and the fact that I got a belt in this weight class and now I'm going to fight another somebody we've barely heard of, then I'm not for it. But as far as the fight is concerned, I think it was probably a 65-35 in Tank's favor because I just don't haven't seen Barrios face anybody to let me know really where he is as far as his skill level. But that's all I have. Yeah, you said a lot of what I was going to say. Um, you know, um, I think you may have noted, maybe you didn't, but you know, Tank's last two fights were at 130 versus Santa Cruz and 135 versus Gamboa. Um, Barrios has been at the 140-pound division since 2017. So he has 10 fights under his belt there. Um, Barrios is 5'10 with a 71-inch reach versus Tank, who is 5'5 with a 67-and-a-half-inch reach. So off of size alone, uh, Barrios would present, and I'm not saying they're, you know, his his style is similar, but off just off of size, he would present similar problems to a shorter Tank that I was saying that Ryan Garcia would present uh, when we did that prediction, that prediction um, a few months ago, uh, just off of size. And, you know, um, I don't know. I think Barrios, he, you know, he is mostly unproven at that division. But uh, in the fights that I've seen from him, um, he is relatively active in terms of how many punches he throws, like the volume. And Tank can't really afford to stand in there and take shots from him the way that he that he was able to afford to take shots from from Santa Cruz because you know when he got that knockout on Santa Cruz in that sixth round he was kind of in there in fighting and he he took some shots at first but he was able to time it and then he used that timing to land that that big uppercut um he couldn't afford to do that against Barrios and so um, like you said, well, this will be a real test for his power to see where his, you know, what his power looks like. Um, I would, I would give Tank a slighter edge here than you would, Will. Um, I would say maybe 55-45, but I will say that 
look, I I just don't see what he gains from this. Even if you even if you're you're doing this thing where you you know you're you're planning for fighters in advance, you are like Devin Haney was right there. You know what I mean? Devin Haney was was trying to get a fight. Um, nobody was seeming to really want to fight him. But Devin Haney was in the division that Tank had, had fought at before. He could have went for that. There are so many names at 130. He just made 130 back in October. He's had enough time to where he could get back down to the weight class. So many names he could have chose there. It, it still goes – it just all roads lead back to, like, cleaning out your division before you before you step up. So even, even if he is – do, taking this fight in order to prepare him to fight somebody at 135. How about you prepare yourself for fighting somebody at 135 by fighting somebody at 135? I just don't understand what he what he gains from this. And he could be putting himself at risk because if he if he fights this fight, even, even if he wins but doesn't look good doing it, then his stock goes down. Whereas he could have just did the same thing against one of those actual fighters that people want to see him fight against. So I don't like the risk that he's taking here. Um I won't be surprised if he ended up looking not so great in this fight, if it were to happen. I would not be surprised at all. I, I don't like anything about it, to be honest with you, if I haven't <laughs> given that away yet. But uh, This fight, yeah, I, I agree with you guys, and you guys definitely stated it uh, very well. I'm not too thrilled about this fight, and, and I, haven't, I haven't seen too much of Mario, uh, Mario Barrios but what I've seen, I mean, he's okay. It's not like he's just a you know horrible fighter. Um, I mean, he's definitely beatable. But I'm not sure Tank is the guy that's going to 100 percent do that. I think Tank moving up to 140. Um, I don't I don't know what it, what to, what to think about that. I, I always force foresaw that he was going to eventually be at 140, or he's going to take some fights there. But I didn't think it would be this soon. I, I thought he would at least, you know, take on one of those guys at 135, you know, first. But it's weird that, you know, he would bypass all these super fights at 135 that are not worth money. Like, you can't even say that, of course, these fights can be built up to make a lot more money. But you can't say that uh, a tank versus Richard Comey, you know, isn't worth uh, isn't worth as much money as a tank versus Mario uh, Berrios. Um, and plus, we've all been waiting to see fights, uh, Tank, how Tank really do at 135. And it's interesting because because this is a, a fight that could be dangerous for Tank, you know, because we don't know how he's going to look. Sometimes I think him, if if this is true, because we're not know we don't know 100 if it's true or not, because I've heard rumors about him fighting at 140. I've heard rumors about him fighting at 126 also. So. We don't know what's what for sure until that decision is made. But if this is true, it seems it would seem like maybe it's him having trouble making you know weight. We saw him miss one thirty five when he fought Gamboa. But he was able to get back down to one thirty. But maybe they're seeing something. His people are seeing something as far as discipline and think he'll be more suited to one forty. But I think it, it's definitely an odd you know uh, it's an odd situation you know. Because uh, there's so many fights on the table. There's so many fights at 135 that can take place. And, and Barrios is a big kid, you know, and he's, he's young. He's 25 year, years old. Um, this would be a big shot for him. And that's why I kind of see this fight kind of like the way you, you, uh, you do, Danny, a 55, a 45 
fight in terms of Tank. I think Tank is very, very talented. But at the same time, I mean, they have weight classes for a reason. And sometimes uh, Tank can be unmotivated. And so he can come in the ring and seem like he, you know, isn't fully trained or, or not truly motivated. And, I mean, it's going to bite him at some time. And if it bites him against, against someone like Barrios, Barrios, that would that would pretty much detour his entire career because he's poised to be a superstar. Um, and the only way he's gonna build a build superstar status and get that legacy status is by taking those fights at 135, those fights against uh, Devin Haney, those fights against uh, Ryan Garcia, Teofimo Lopez. Uh, I would mind seeing him against against um, Richard Comey, you know, Jorge Linares, you know, those type of fighters. I mean. It's 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 just it's just odd. It's just odd. Uh, you guys didn't have anything else to add? Yeah, they got it all planned out, man. So if he lose, right, this was gonna happen. He lose, he bit off more than he can chew. He's not a one forty partner, so he's gonna go back to one thirty five. That's gonna be the built in excuse. The other thing, like I said, I don't mind guys if he's doing this because he it if he's taking that approach of what I'm saying because guys have done that in the past. I've seen. Floyd Mayweather go up and fight Manuel Augustus. And he was in there slug with Manuel Augustus, but I thought that he was doing that because he had the fight with Chico Corrales coming up next. And so he was he was preparing himself for Chico. I've seen um Pernell Whitaker. He went up and he fought, remember he fought Buddy McGirt. And then the next fight after that, he had the Chavez fight. So guys do that if that's what he's if that's part of the plan. And then also the cherry on top is that he can collect another belt. So that's part of his legacy. That's part of negotiations. That's part of his appeal. So I can understand that if he's going to fight one of those guns at 135 next, like you can't have it where you just keep cherry picking because it's going to go bad for you. (laughs) You're going to pick the wrong cherry at some point and it's going to be a demand for you to fight some of those other guys. Now he may, they may milk this for a long time. It could be one of the guys who, end up getting hurt or something like that and then they want to fight tank then he fights them when at their worst you know what i'm saying like they're not as good as they were then he finally chooses he might end up doing that i hope that's not the case because they plan a a dangerous game like you're saying because you don't know about mario barrios mario barrios may be able to take those shots he may be, be able to extend tank tank may get taken into deep waters or something you don't know you know what i mean playing this this game because Like I said, it's just not enough information out there about Mario Barrios. But Mario Barrios, if you think about this is the worst thing about it, is that outside of maybe Roger Gutierrez, if you consider him a belt holder, he's he's the worst champion from 130 to 140. Like you can't pick a worse champion in boxing in the the weight divisions that Tank is campaigning at. You know what I mean? So that's why it's just, it don't look good um but like i say the only silver lining would be if tank is using this fight right here in preparation for one of those long tall big 135 pound fights yeah i mean you said it very well uh he just you know and and he'll if he if he wins that fight you know if tank wins this fight someone brought this up someone pretty famous brought this up actually they said that he would have belts 
and this is this this is a, a representation of you know boxing today is that he would have a belt at 130 135 and 140 and they mentioned him in the same name with the the fact that he was said Henry Armstrong. H. Armstrong, yeah, Henry Armstrong. I can't even, it struggle to even say that in the same sentence. They, they, they said Henry Armstrong. <laughs> it, it just irked me. I mean, because y'all know how I feel about Henry Armstrong. He's like number two, number one on my list of all time fighters. So to 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 put Tank and and I'm not, I don't know if we sound critical of Tank. I like Tank. You know, he's very exciting. He's very talented. He has underrated box skill and all that. You know, I'm I'm pulling for the kid. But you got to earn your strikes before they start putting you in it, putting that name next to your name. And you devaluing like with Harry Armstrong like that era, like they were out there fighting like for real, like they going against the top guys. It's not like they picking up no belt from like the worst champions. They going after the guns in those divisions. So you exactly guys did back in the past. Exactly. It's the fact that they said, "Oh yeah, it'll be like Harry Armstrong." No, no, Harry Armstrong. It was eight belts. Eight belts, and, and he had belts at featherweight, one twenty six, uh, lightweight, one thirty five, and welterweight, which is one forty seven. And he beat the champion in all three of those weight classes. For Tank to do that, he would have to beat Gary Russell, he would have to beat Teofimo Lopez, and he would have to beat Errol Spence. That's what, to be in the same name in the same vein with Henry Armstrong. But Danny, you got anything else? No, I'm already angry enough as it is. <laughs> Y'all made me even more mad. Oh, so, so we can move on, man. Okay, so moving along, um, there, there's a fight that's it, it's been agreed upon. Uh, I haven't. It's so fresh. I don't think I haven't even seen the exact date on it yet. Y'all could probably fill me in on it. But this has been a fight that we've been talking about for a while now. We we probably have mentioned it more than once on this podcast. But it seems like it's close to happening. It's one of the the, the Biggest fights to for a boxing fan to see today, uh, and that is uh, Jose Ramirez versus Josh Taylor for the uh, the uh, the uh, light welterweight championship at 140. And whoever wins this will be the pretty much the man at 140 and at 140 in the same vein of a Casa Zoo or Aaron Pryor. So, uh, what do you guys? How do you guys see this fight going? So the fight is scheduled for May 22nd for all the marbles at at 140. Uh, you got Josh Taylor, who's 17 and no 13 knockouts, um, 5'10 with a 69 and a half inch reach. Um, they're both about even in that category. Um, Ramirez does have a 72 inch reach, um, but he's 5'10 as well. Ramirez is 26 and no 17 knockouts. Um, I'm very excited about this fight. Um, I, I've seen each fighter personally fight twice. I saw a Taylor fight. Uh, Progress and I saw him fight Postal. I saw Ramirez fight Postal and, and Maurice Hooker. Um, I think it's a pretty even matchup overall. Um, you know, Taylor won the World Boxing Super Series at 140. Um, I think that I'll just say this. Um, you guys are probably you guys are probably seeing more fights from from those two than I have. I know, Will, you had them as, if I if I can recall correctly, number nine for the video you just put out on YouTube for the top 10 pound for pound fighters, which everybody should go see, by the way, if you haven't already. Very good video. But um, so you guys will probably touch more on the tangibles. I kind of look at, I like to look at kind of like the intangibles and what I see from a fighter going into these fights. And so 
Uh, in general, what I've seen from their most recent fights, I was a little bit more convinced of Taylor's overall skill than I was Ramirez. Um, I also, I, again, I still think it's pretty even overall, but um, I did note that Taylor is trained by uh, Ben Davison, and Ben Davison is credited as the guy who, who, uh, who basically got Fury back into boxing when Fury was, you know, 140 pounds overweight. Uh, Davison got him back in shape. He trained him for that first Wilder fight, which I personally thought he won, but it, you know, as we all know, it was scored a draw. And so, um, and and they interviewed Davison about it, and Davison has noted that Taylor has become accustomed to using his physical advantages in fights, and has been marked up for doing that because he can tend to make the fight harder than it needed than it has to be. And Again, you guys are better at the tangibles, but when I look at that, I I see one, I've seen that based on who Davidson has trained, he is willing to be innovative in his training techniques. And two, I see a guy that is looking to bring that, you know, although Taylor might be a guy that can deviate from the plan, this is a fight that they're not going to overlook. They've already been in the big war against Prograce. And so they're going to train a lot of they're going to it's going to be a very technical training thing that they're going to a regimen that they're going to go through for this fight and i trust i trust taylor as a fighter i trust his camp um taylor seems to know what's at stake and so um i would give the edge to taylor here to to win this one interesting danny i would have to uh, agree with you on that that i think taylor seems just a tad bit more sharper than ramirez both are are uh Phenomenal fighters for 140 and for their, uh, you know, the level that they fight at. Uh, they both have wins over uh, Victor Postal. Postal, you know, uh, of course, Taylor pretty much has the, the win over uh, Prog- Progress. And, um, of course, uh, Ramirez had that fight against Hooker, which is very, you know, um, very entertaining to watch. Uh, Taylor's a southpaw, Ramirez orthodox. They both are really, really tall guys from 140, big guys too. Um, I think it's going to be a very, very exciting fight. It'll be evenly matched. I'm not exactly a, a superstitious guy, but the last few months haven't been been good for you know boxers named Josh. So, <laughs> so, I, so that's it's, it's kind of a wrong time to take this fight for, if, if you're into a, a superstition. But I do think uh, Taylor is just a tad bit better, and he's a tad bit sharper when I see them both side-by-side side boxing. Uh, they, they both love the bang. They, they can box. They, they, they love to be in firefights. But I think Taylor is just that, just has a tad bit more, and I think it's gonna, he's going to edge uh, Ramirez. And, and honestly, if one of these fighters is going to have a breakout form, performance, I think it'll be, it'll, it's more likely to be Josh Taylor than Jose Ramirez. But this fight is very, very close. I can see Ramirez uh, pulling it off, too. That's why, you know, they fight these fights. That's why we've been talking about this fight for uh, uh, many, many months now. And, and don't be surprised if I change my prediction <laughs> because this is a very even fight. And based on what I see from both camps, I mean, it's going to drive what, what, what's likely going to happen in this fight. Okay. Yeah, these, these are uh... – Definitely the best 140-pound fighters out there. So this is going to give us a legit number one fighter um, at 140. Both guys are basically, you know, in their prime where 
Taylor is 30 years old and Ramirez is 29. Um, the other thing is you got the lefty versus righty component of this as well. Um, and like you guys said, Josh has those victories over progress and um, postal and Ramirez with the victories over Yvonne, Hooker, and also postal. I think um, Taylor looked a lot. Uh, it was it was a much more of an easy victory for Taylor than it was Ramirez. That could have went either way when he fought postal. Now, some of the strengths of Jose Ramirez is that the man is relentless. Great chin. He was taking some monster shots from Hooker. Um, he got, has a really nice right hand, nice uppercuts, and he also goes to the body. That's something that Josh Taylor does as well. The last time I saw him fight, he put his opponent out in the first round. Nice, clean left hook to the body. Um, I don't know where this fight is going to be. I don't know if, if they have set a venue yet, but if it's in the UK, then I definitely have Josh Taylor because he's tough to beat out there in the UK. And with him, he throws um, like a probing right jab to set up like his left and his, his counters. Very good inside fighter, uh, really good body punches, like I just mentioned. And then he also, from time to time, he switches from softball to orthodox to throw off his opponent. And then Ramirez, on the other hand, um, like I said, man, that, that, that young man, from what I've seen him at his best, he's like a, a slugger at his core, you know, and then he like a, pushes the accumulation of his punches until his opponent he like kind of takes their heart and their spirit. So it's going to be a good fight. To me, the likely outcome, I favor Taylor. Um, I, I probably had as like a 60-40, 55-45 in the favor of Taylor because at 140, he's just a big, strong 140-pound fighter. Now, he can make this easy to me because I've seen him box. And if he chooses to go that route where – he boxes and exchanges, you know, on his own terms, then I think that he will box Ramirez ears off, you know, because I see Ramirez getting outboxed. Postal did it. Um, there was another fighter that he faced a couple of years back where it was a controversy, won the majority decision. He was boxing his ears off. But um, I just don't say, I, I just think that, that Taylor is the better fighter. Now, here's the thing, though. Like you said, Vail, I, I jotted those down in my notes as well as far as the Warrington and Kelly losses. Not more so just because their name is Josh. It's more so the fact that the engine, right? I know that I'm, I'm assuming that Taylor will be winning the fight going into the latter part of the fight or going into the middle part of the fight. Now, you know, Progress was starting to catch up to him a little bit um, in their fight. I, like I say, Ramirez is relentless, man. Like he he's going to keep coming um, until he can't. He's just he's not going to stop. Just put it like that. So what it's going to boil down to is if Taylor, two things. If Taylor decides to box him, he's going to be good. He's going to win a clear cut decision. But they don't call him the tartan tornado for nothing. You know, he's he's Scottish. <laughs> he, he wants to brawl with you at certain points. And I don't know if that's going to be something that is going to be at his detriment um, if he decides to do that with Ramirez because he's not going to let up either. And then it's just going to boil down to whether or not Taylor is going to have enough in his tank to be able to combat what it is that Ramirez is bringing to the table. So it's going to be an interesting fight. But 
like you said, Danny, um, if he's working with his trainer and they're specifically working on the game plan, then I think that's just what they'll do. They'll outbox him and then they'll collect all of those belts. All right. So the next topic we got, you got Mikey Garcia and Manny Pacquiao. They're in talks for potential bout this summer. If this bout comes to fruition, who do you guys like and why? Hmm. Yeah, uh, we got Manny Pacquiao, Pacquiao, uh, 62 wins, seven losses, uh, 39 KOs, uh, two draws actually against uh, Mikey Garcia, who is 40, 40 wins, one loss, and 30 KOs. Uh, Pacquiao has fought a who's who in his career, but his most recent opponents, uh, he has the win over Keith Thurman and Adrian Broner and Lucas Matisse against uh, Mikey Garcia, you know, uh, he basically coming off a loss to uh, Errol Spence, which is um, about a year or two ago. Still, uh, he he showed some some really tough whiskers in that in in that even in that fight, uh, fighting that was such a big welterweight and you know had a lot of courage. Uh, he has wins against uh, also Robert Easter Jr. and Sergey Lipnitz um, and Adrian Broner also. Um, now, now, I always thought this fight would happen. Um, I, I predicted that this fight would happen, and I still expect, kind of expect this fight to happen. Um, I go back and forth from what I think about what would happen in this fight because, because Manny Pacquiao, uh, of course, he's been out of the ring about two years, and he's older, and he's fighting a, a younger guy, which is Mikey Garcia, um, pretty much a guy that, you know, on paper, Pacquiao wouldn't have – a lot of trouble with, but Garcia is, 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 is I think, is a dangerous fighter for Pacquiao because statistically speaking, Pacquiao's only really had trouble against guys who are either, you know, his size or smaller or guys who moved up in weight who, who have fought, have experienced fighting smaller guys like him. So I guess they can process things fast just like he can process things fast, as you've seen with, you know, Floyd Mayweather and, um, uh, and uh, Marquez, those are two fighters who are, you know, they came through the lower weight ranks so they can process things very, very fast, even when they're fighting bigger guys and things are even moving slower. Their mind is processing things really, really fast. So I think Mikey Garcia has some of that in him and it, could, it may trouble Pacquiao a little bit, and especially considering the age of Pacquiao. Um, the only thing is that Pacquiao has, I think Pacquiao, that Marky Garcia, I haven't seen from Mikey Garcia yet. I think Pacquiao has a champion type mindset, even as a, as an older fighter, you know, he has those things that just puts him above anyone and makes him great. And, and, and Mikey Garcia is the type of fighter that's like, he's, I mean, he's good. He's phenomenally talented, but sometimes he does things just to do them, just to get the job done. Sometimes you don't necessarily see him trying to do anything really, really great. But still, that said, I think this is a, uh, I would say it's a 60-40 fight in in favor of Pacquiao. Uh, Pacquiao still had is awkward enough that Garcia is going to have some some uh, problems timing him. And but I think Garcia may have still have more going down the tank as he's still a old, still a younger fighter. And considering that, you know, Errol Smith didn't take anything away from him because that was a, a tough fight for him. But I still expect Pacquiao to show why he, he's still Pacquiao. And the moment he doesn't is the day that Pacquiao will retire. 
Okay. So yeah, in this fight, what I see, uh, you made some really good points. You know, you got the 42 year old against the 30 year old, um, you know, and we talk about Manny so much. I feel like he keeps saying the same thing. I like what he brings to the table and that's the punches and punches, the speed, the footwork, the very the attack, you know, some things, sometimes I don't mention this, but he also has that toughness. You know, Manny is, is tough as nails. You think back about fights like the Clotty fight, the Margarito fight, Cotto fights. I think about those in particular because sometimes they would step it up, land a couple punches. And I remember back in the day, Manny used to just clap his hands together like, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I always respected that about him, you know, as far as his um, toughness. Now, his last fight was against Keith. You know, he, he ended up doing something that a lot of people didn't think that he would be able to do because he's an underdog in that fight at his age. But, you know, when Manny was younger in his prime, you know, he was beating legends, you know. But now that he's a legend, he's beating fighters in their prime. So, you know, that's that's interesting to see that he still have has that type of talent at his advanced age. And Mikey, on the other hand, he's what he brings to the tables, uh, table, he's um, smart, but he's also aggressive, pretty solid power, um, calm, careful, and confident, very good box. Uh, I would consider him a boxer puncher with a strong jab, nice footwork, and solid, very, very solid fundamentally. Uh, Mikey really is involved in wars, you know? And for me, it's, I like, from a technical standpoint, he, for me, he's brilliant to watch. And he never loses his, his cool, you know, even when he's under fire. Now, the only fight, like, if we look, obviously, in that Spence fight, he lost by a wide margin in that fight. Um, but I also look at this when it comes to that Spence fight, right, where Mikey was saying that he sees some things in Spence. Both of those guys are really smart. Now, with Spence... I don't know if it was him or if it's his team or his coach um, or whoever. They knew that Mikey saw something in how Spence typically fight. So what Spence did was said, you know what? If you think that I'm going to come in there and do what I normally do and you game plan for that, let me just go ahead and box your ears off. So that's what Spence did. And Mikey wasn't expecting him to do that. But anytime somebody is has a specific game plan that they have and they do it on a, you know, um, continuous basis, I think Mikey can game plan for that. So in this fight, I don't see Manny doing anything different than he customarily does. So that's why I think that this fight could be um, a very interesting and close affair. I have it a 50-50 fight, especially at this stage in Manny's career being 42 and some of the things that you mentioned, Vail, that typically Manny's going to have trouble with guys who are very good fundamentally. And Mikey is like one of the best in the game when it comes to the basic fundamentals. One, two, timing a guy, you know, figuring, you know, out ways to go ahead and get his stuff off and not and mitigate what it is that you're bringing to the table. So it's, it's all about him figuring out that timing of Manny. And that's kind of like how uh, Marquez was with Pacquiao. It's always going to be tough because Manny is that awkward, unorthodox fighter who's going against somebody who has the basic fundamentals. And so that's always going to give him trouble. Anytime you see him fight somebody like that, then it's it, that was, that's going to be, you know, it could go either way. Now, I think maybe before he might have took Mikey out um, 
I, w- I would have him more of a favorite. But it's still always going to be tricky because, like I say, Manny is, is going to have difficulty with somebody who's uh, fundamentally sound like that. Um, so, again, at this point, I have a 50-50 fight. I think that uh, Mikey is going to be able to, you know, do some things similar to what um, Marquez was able to do in terms of getting Manny's timing down. So but that's pretty much all I have, man. I just think it's a 50-50 fight at this particular point in both guys' career. Yeah, you guys have done a great job already of really touching on their styles as fighters. It really, for the most part, you know, it comes down to, like you said, where is Manny at age 42 after two years of inactivity? And where is Mikey as a younger fighter uh, with a little bit over a year of inactivity? Um, Mikey is a master technician that could definitely present problems for Manny, but Manny is just one of those all-world, all-time fighters that, regardless of how good you are, he can still get the job done against you. Um, you have it a 50-50, Will. Vel, you have it 60-40, Pacquiao. Um, you know what? I, I'm kind of making this prediction on the spot. I, I kind of didn't really – I couldn't really think of – decide who to predict. So uh, on the spot, I'm going to still give the edge to Pacquiao. I think Pacquiao gets up for this fight. I would give it – I would give maybe 51-49 Pacquiao. I think he just figures out a way to get the job done. If, if, this, were, if this fight were at maybe 140 or something like that, um, I would probably feel even a little bit better about Garcia. But, you know, Pacquiao already – he walks around at like 151. So, you know what I mean? He just has he has kind of that advantage going into it. And and yeah, I just think he just figured out a way to get it done. So I'll just leave it there. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to talk about with this one? The only thing I would say is this, is that this is one of those. I wouldn't be surprised. It depends on how long Manny decides to stick around in boxing. But I can see this being something where it's kind of a close fight and then they can end up doing it again. You know what I mean? Ending out his career. So, yeah, I can see that happening. All right. So, um, Devin Haney and Jorge Linares has agreed in principle. Um, it looks like it could be sometime in May. They may be squaring off against each other. Um, assuming this fight is to go down, how you guys see it playing out? All right. So, we got Devin the Dream Haney, 22 years old, orthodox fighter. 25015 KOs, 5'8, 71-inch reach against my main man Jorge Linares, who's 35 years old, 47, 5, 29 KOs. All of his losses have been KO losses. He's an orthodox fighter, 5'8, 69-inch reach. Some of the pros about Haney, um, what I like about him, he's one of those stay outside type fighters, um, picks his shots well, excellent with the jab, good footwork. Great skills, slippery on defense. Um, often, pot shots his opponent. Like once he gets the timing down, then he'll, you know, just pot shot you to death. Weakness, and again, that's a glaring weakness, is that the lack of punching power. Um, as far as Linares, he's what I would consider a pro's pro. You know, if a person has never seen a professional fighter and you put him in front of the TV and you show them Jorge Linares, 
then they'll probably automatically know that that's a professional fighter that they're watching. Because offensively, he's gifted. Beautiful footwork, great use of the combination, power punching. I mean, he has it all when it comes to his offense. He's a very big, solid 130-pound fighter. So this is a um, huge risk for Devin uh, to dream Haney. Um, Lenar's weakness is, is his defense, um, but he really uses his offense to mask his weakness. So, again, this should be a really, really good fight. I don't know why. Well, I, I, and that's, I, I take my hat off the hand, you know, for wanting to fight some of these uh, stiffer um, level opposition opponents. So um, what I have, I think it's, it's a 60-40 fight in favor of Haney. Um, kind of mainly due to he, he's going to be slippery and then also it's like the youth factor and his speed, right? So I, I, I checked out Linares. He looked really, really impressive when I saw him against Luke Campbell. But Luke had his moments towards the tail end of the fight, you know, once Linares started to slow down a little bit. But before that, he was just too fast for Luke Campbell. And then he looked really good against Loma. Like, if you think about it, before Loma caught him with that that left to the body and put him out, that was like a 50-50 fight or an even fight um, before he got knocked out. And then also he dropped Loma in that fight as well. So, I mean, he's a highly skilled, very talented fighter. But against Loma, I did notice that he wasn't nearly as effective. I know Loma is a better fighter than Luke. But also the fact that Loma was faster. So he couldn't just like get off like he was getting off against Luke. So I think that that's going to play a factor against Haney as well. That Haney positions himself at a certain angle where Lenara is not just going to be teeing off on him. But he's still got to be careful because he is um, pretty heavy handed at 135. And again, I have a 60 40 because I think Haney, what he has to do, he has to keep him, he has to keep even with him, just like Loma did up until around like the seventh, eighth round. And then he can kind of up the tempo and where Lenares is, is going to start fading a little bit. Um, yeah, so that's how I see it. I, I think Haney is going to cruise probably to, I wouldn't say necessarily cruise, but I think it's going to be like a 116, 112-ish type decision in favor of Devin the Dream Haney. Yeah, you made a lot of good points that I was going to make. Um one of which I, I just really wanted to emphasize to people who may not be familiar with Linares, like this might not be a fight that we necessarily as fans wanted for Haney, but it's still a great test and a good step up for him. You know, Linares is by no means a slouch. He's a three-division world champ. Um, he, he most recently had a belt at 135 in 2018 that he lost to Loma, who, as we all know, is also not a slouch, but you know, like he also knocked down Lomo for the first time in his career in that fight. Uh, he's currently ranked seventh in the division by the ring. And so, you know, this is a tough fight for Haney. And so salute to him for, for taking that fight. Um, Lenara's biggest win that you referenced already was against Luke Campbell at 2017. Um, you know, you also referenced that he's a relatively aging fighter at 35 in a young division. <laughs> And he's been in, he's been in a few he's been in a few wars, um, like you said. All of his losses have been knockout losses, um, and so you know I, I do think that if Haney is as elite as advertised, he should win a clear decision. I would probably give it a sixty five thirty five advantage over Haney. Um, I highly doubt it would be a knockout just because he just doesn't have the power for that. Um, 
And you know, people use it as a knock against him. But if you're if you're a good boxer, you can win by decision. Why not win by decision? You know, you do what you can as a fighter. You, re- you leverage your skill set. And so, um, you know, again, Haney is just a very solid boxer. He he's slick. He's slippery. And I think that I think that he'll he'll get the job done here. Um, when I see Lenares again, he's a three division champ. But at this stage in his career, um, at the weight class that he's in. When he's made those steps up, you know, those elite fighters in the division have found a way to get it done, um, save for Luke Campbell. So I will, I will give Haney the edge here. Yeah, actually, yeah, I agree with you guys. I actually like this fight for Devin Haney, actually. Uh, I think Linares is underratedly tough. Um, he's been, of course, he's been in some wars. Um, but he's, he's also one of those guys you just can't, uh, sleep on you can't you have to be up for him because it, as Luke Campbell found out you really gotta be there you <laughs> be up for him um but as you guys said all of his his, his uh losses were TKOs but it's not like he just you know lacks chin or he's like a Miracon or anything like that. I mean he he sometimes he fades or 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 loses content loses uh concentration and fights uh because when you watch him he's he's very supremely talented. Uh, as you guys stated, it's just that he has these these uh, areas where it just when the heat's turned up on him, he just falters. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Devin Haney can do to him, and and also to see if because sometimes I think the the idea that Devin Haney lacks power, I think while, while there's truth truth in that that he's not like this power puncher, this will determine. Um, if he has that dog in him, because be quite honest, I, I expect Devin Haney to stop Jorge Linares late. So that's my prediction. They stops him late. Uh, yeah, they, I think he's going to stop him late. I think this will be a dem- Devin Haney trying to demonstrate his power. Um, and and he can't play around with Linares. And, you know, of course, he can probably box with him and outbox him. That's, of course, that's possible. Uh, but I do expect if Devin Haney uh, wants to become a star, I think he's going to turn the heat on, heat up, and try to stop the Nereids. Just in the same way that he he tried uh, with uh, Gamboa. But I, I don't know. I, I see him stopping the Nereid. No, I can see that happening because of the fact that he can. I, I don't. See, I can see if if he's teeing off on him a little bit. It would probably be towards the end of the fight. I can see that having a ref waving off, and then I can also see them him in the corner in his corner stopping the fight. You know what I mean? Like towards the end, if he's not really being competitive at that particular moment in the fight, I can see that happen. But one thing I do uh, want to mention also before we wrap up, because next week is a pretty big week of boxing. You guys still? Um, well, let me ask you this: What's your final prediction on that Estrada versus Chocolatito fight next week? The fans win. <laughs> uh, Chocolate Tito. Um, yeah, that's a hard prediction to make. <laughs> I don't think I, I can make it. Oh, man. I, oh, man. Uh, I'm going to Strata. I got to Strata uh, to solidify his claim on that pound for pound list and then put his name with those other greats. You know what I mean? Morales, Barrera, and all of them. I think Chocolatito is going to reclaim his lost glory, and he may 
get the win here. Uh, but I can see this fight going so many different ways. I think they're equally matched, and I think it's going to be – the fans are going to love it. The fans definitely win. Um, I big fan of Chocolatito, but I'm going to stick with my Estrada prediction just at this stage in their careers. Yeah, I, I think I know we we running um, like long on time, but just like next week, man, it's going to be some really good boxing. You got the guy that Chocolatito lost to, but then Estrada beat Rumbaside fights next week as well. Then you also have um, my main man. David Benavidez in action next week against Ronald Ellis. So I'm sure we'll be recapping those fights. Anything else you guys have um, before we wrap up? No, no, sir. No, sir. All right, best. So we're going to wrap things up. Um, might end up catching that uh, coming to America so we can go ahead and have that discussion, you know, just for you fellas. But <laughs> <laughs> catch yeah. us on YouTube. You know, the different segments and, and whatnot, you know, continue to, you know, like and enjoy the podcast. You know, we're going to be back next week. On that note, we out. Have a great week. Peace. Peace. Peace.